Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Oh, how are you, brother? I'm fine, thanks, Chris. You all right? Yes, mate, you look remarkably well. Was it 63? 63, yeah. Mm -hmm. God, I wish I I had your paper around. (laughs) (laughs) So, Paul... You're looking good uh, yourself. Oh, (laughs) mate, I do my best. I do my best. Um, I've seen the endurance things you do, and a lot of respect for that. My face is normally a reproduction of how I'm living my life at the... (laughs) <laughs> it's it's amazing how wrinkles actually go away when you when you do all the good stuff <laughs> um brother listen absolutely wonderful to have you on the show before i go any further it was one of our subscribers um said chris you really got to get this guy on your show and unfortunately youtube deleted that uh comment before i had yeah. a chance to write down your your name, sir. I think it was a sir, not a madam. So massive thank you. If you let me know who you are, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a shout out. Um, Paul, it, the, the Falklands conflict, and I think we're going to come on and talk about other stuff as well. Um, very passionate in the heart of British service personnel, especially those of us that lived at that time. And I'm not just talking the people that served down there. Uh, God bless them. But, um, you know, uh, I've told this story before. My, my best friend who I joined the Royal Marines with, um, his dad led, uh, I believe it was Lima Company into battle. He was the um, sergeant major down there. And my friend used to watch the news. And on the news, the list of the dead would scroll up the screen at, at, at the end of every day to who, who died in battle that day or, or on the ships. And um, then my buddy, he said he used to just go upstairs, run himself a bath, and he'd sit in the bath and cry. You know, he'd have to watch the news to see if his dad had died that day. And and this is why I say it's conflict affects everybody, doesn't it? You know, you yeah. know, uh, Um. So I'm just going to read. So you've written a book. It's called Return to Bomb Alley, 1982, The Falklands Deception. Uh, 40 years on from the Falklands conflict, veteran Paul Cardin reflects on his own experiences while asking probing questions about what really went on before, during and after those 74 days of hostility. As a 22-year-old radio operator in the Royal Navy, bad luck, mate, um, Paul Paul was stationed on HMS Yarmouth when it was anchored in San Carlos Bay, known colloquially as Bomb Alley. During his time there, he saw ships being bombed and sunk and watched his friends and comrades being injured and killed. Return to Bomb Alley is part memoir, part critical account of the way in which the Falklands conflict was handled. Although often referred to as a war, neither Britain nor Argentina ever made a formal declaration, but the days which followed 
the Argentinian invasion of the Falkland Islands, saw more than 900 people lose their lives and many others left with lasting physical and mental injuries. Yes. I've met a lot of um, veterans who served down there, Paul, and um, we've done many, many podcasts and we were going to do a big... We were going to do an open talk night this year. And in the end, looking at how much these guys are just still suffering, I went, let's call it off. Let, let's just leave the past. We yeah. need to, we need, you know, these guys need to move on with, on with their lives. Um, mm-hmm. The book is a gripping read for anybody who wants to know more about the Falklands conflict, as well as telling his own story through diary extracts and a timeline. The author takes a thorough and journalistic approach to this period of history, asking tough questions about why and how certain decisions were made, what was really going on in the background, just what was the role played by the British government and Margaret Thatcher, what were their main motivation and how did they use the conflict to their advantage in the years which followed. First off, mate, congratulations on writing a book. It's not it's not an easy thing, is it? Mm-hmm. It isn't. I did I did consider doing it way back, probably in the mid eighties, and uh, I didn't go ahead because I'd seen uh, what happened to Clive Ponting. You know, he was a, a senior uh, a civil service man, and he uh, sort of contacted Tam Dial, who was an old one of the old MPs, no longer with us about what he knew about the Belgrano and um, the lies that were being told about that. So I'd, I'd seen all that happening and I thought, no, I was a bit sort of chilled from writing anything at the time because you yourself, Chris, you've signed the um, Official Secrets Act and it's pretty unforgiving. Or well, back then it was very unforgiving if you, you know, uh, said something out of, out of place. So uh, I, left it, <laughs> I left it 40 years and... As you know, every 10 years, um, the anniversary comes up. So 82, 92, 2002, 2012. And every anniversary, I thought I should get, get something out there, you know, and um, get my story out there. And I finally did it this time, this time around. And one of my motivators was while I'm still here, you know, because uh, time goes very fast. Uh, so I thought I better get this book out now. Yes, Clive Pontin wrote about the uh, or released documents about the Belgrano. Was it? Was it? That's w- right. The sinking of the Belgrano. There were so many questions that were unanswered um, about that. And even at the time when I was down there, it's the second of May, nineteen eighty-two. I thought that's it. Now it was like the point of no return when that happened, and it it proved to be that because four days later the. Sheffield was hit by an exocet and that was it. The war was on after that point. Mm. And Paul, I suppose we should say here now, I mean, I don't think I've ever managed to get for a Falklands podcast without just bloody ending up in tears, you know, and I'm a yeah. Yeah. Marine. It, 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 it's it, understandable. The, yeah. the, 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 the sacrifice that our brothers and, and, and I say sisters, because obviously there was nurses on the, on, on, yeah. on, 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 on the medical ships and et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Right. And, and working back home, like 
friends at home, we're not in any way disparaging the commitment that people made. But in my lifetime, so 53 years, all I've seen is a perpetual state of war Mm -hmm. with this country or this one or this one. Mm -hmm. And what we've seen in the last 20 years, the facts don't add up. Mm -hmm. Um, It's certainly... They certainly seem to suit the sociopathic world leader types that just look down on service personnel as if they're just cannon fodder. And oh yes, yeah. And I want to explore that, Paul, without meaning any disrespect to to anybody, not the Falkland Islanders, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, yeah, you know, we're parents. Um. We have people that we love in the military, and mm-hmm. I, I think, I think these questions respectfully ne- need to be asked. Yeah, well, I couldn't agree more. When I was when I sat down and started writing the book, I made sure that I paid full respect to every single veteran who served in it, and everyone who's serving now. This book has. This book has no criticism whatsoever of any serving personnel, but the criticism that does come is levelled at the politicians. It's a bit like walking a tightrope. I had to make sure I wasn't criticising any veterans or anyone who knew me. You know, I wouldn't do that anyway, but um, I made sure that all my criticism was targeted at our leaders at the media, you know, the, the same sort of people who are causing so many problems, you know, now. Um, so, um, yeah. Uh, it's fair to say, mate, they're a weak old bunch, aren't they? And that's why they're in the job. Well, they are. They are weak. They are cowards. They're cowards because they appear to be above the law. I mean, we just, just have to look at Tony Blair and we can see what, why the hell hasn't that person, why isn't he looking out at us from behind bars right now? He should be, but he isn't. He's been knighted. Um, so that just shows you that we're living in a sort of topsy-turvy world and we are cannon fodder, like you, like you say. I just wish that more veterans would look into these things rather than standing there sort of uh, saluting the flag, uh, would look, look behind the scenes um, try and fathom why they get sent to these wars. You know, um, the Iraq war was illegal. And I think every war since has been illegal. Well, we, we, we joined up to support freedom, didn't we? Yeah. We joined up yeah. to protect our nation. Mm-hmm. And it's being more and more sort of uh, apparent that... That that if we call it that border, um, I don't mean a physical border, but you know the integrity of who we are as Great Britain or England, Ireland, Scot, um, Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales is, um, you know, they they say the enemy can be within, don't they? Yeah. That, well, yeah. Um, is it 50, is it fifty seven squadron? Is that it? Is that that squadron in the army that's going uh, online and seventy-seven? Seventy-seven is it? Yeah, yeah. But that that just um, 
speaks volumes, really, when you talk about an enemy within. I'm not accusing them of being an enemy within, but what they're doing is looking very suspect to me. Friends at home that might not be aware, 77 Brigade is... Uh, allegedly, I don't think we're ever going to know the full details, but it's a group of like 4,000 people that just, uh, for argument's sake, sit at a keyboard, trolling through social media sites, et cetera, et cetera, and basically disparaging any dissenting voice, probably leaving a little comment like, oh, I suppose you wear a yeah, tinfoil hat, and and I suppose I suppose you believe that the Earth's flat, and 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 it kind of steamrollers over any form of intellectual debate. Yeah, I've seen those sort of comments, and um, you accuse accuse them of being bots or whatever. But you don't really know who they are, but there's there's been a proliferation really in in since that you know seventy seven brigade came on the scene, you know. It appears to be everywhere. Yeah, four thousand yeah. people can have a big impact. Yes, and and of course, in their minds, they probably believe they're they're doing it for for our national interest. Um, yeah, yeah. But the sort of window dressing that they put out there tells us that they are out there with our our best interests at heart. That they are out to protect us. But I've got to the stage in my life where I no longer believe that, and that, that's. That's happened a long time ago, actually. I mean, I switched my television off about 10 years ago. I couldn't bear watching it, you know. So there's a lot of good stuff on the television that I'm missing. Uh, but I just can't face that 6pm news coming on. It's awful. I, I mean, I'm probably more sensitive to being propagandized, I suppose, you know. Yes, I mean, more and more people don't pay the licence fee now because yeah. you, you, you're actually... Good luck to them. If you support that that stuff, you're you're supporting official narratives, and if you support yeah. official narratives, you're actually supporting the very thing that these people purport, if that's the right word, to yeah to be yeah. against. Yeah, that's right. You know, I you had uh, sorry um, a couple of years ago, Amol Rajan. Have you heard that name? He's an Asian man, and he's very high up in the BBC sort of media world. Uh, he was on Twitter and I made a remark. I don't think it was particularly um, cutting remark or anything like that, but he called me an idiot and scum. <laughs> I'm all Rajan. And I thought, wow, can he get away with that? So I put a complaint into the BBC and it took me about two months, but it went right to the very top, went to the very top man in the complaints department to director, you know, and he basically whitewashed it and said, he was only sort of messing about. He didn't really mean anything by that, you know. <laughs> so that, you can, when something like that happens, you can get a, an inkling into how, not above the law, but how protected they are. You know, yeah. they get into these positions and they feel they can do anything. Mm. Well, it was the same with Paul. We're always careful with our comments on this uh, yeah. show, simply because some of the platforms that we broadcast on. Right would have no qualms taking us down. But if I say there was, um, you know, there were certain events in New York and Washington 20 years ago, I think everyone knows that, oh, yeah. to, that to which I refer. Yeah. And of course, most people think that, that two things fell out of the sky, but it was actually, yeah, it was actually yeah. three, three, three constructions. Yeah. And yeah, the BBC um, broadcast the third one falling out the sky 
14 minutes before it did. Jane, what more can you tell us about the Salomon Brothers building and its collapse? Well, only really what you already know. Details are very, very sketchy. There's almost a sense downtown in uh, New York behind me. Right, yes. which is physically, it, it defies yeah. science, you know. That's right. And when they uh, were... A court case was won on that, Chris. I don't know whether you know. A court case in this country was won by the, by the person who took the BBC to court over that. I can't remember the details, but it's out there, you know. I said, look, I'm not paying your licence under Section 15, Article 3 of the Terrorism Act. Um, and they went through the procedure. I got the court summons, uh, went to court. They asked me if I was guilty. I said, no, I'm not guilty of having an appropriate licence because the licence isn't appropriate because I'll be funding terrorism because I know the BBC's covered up the true events of the day. Because primarily, Jane Stanley um, in 9-11 from the BBC reported 23 minutes before World Trade Centre building 7 collapsed, but it had actually fallen. So that indicated some prior knowledge um, of, uh, that the BBC had in terms of the events of 9-11. Well, I remember yeah. one chap said, look, I'm not paying my licence fee because of this issue, you are clearly yes. part of the narrative yeah. and you have no defense. You've not. Mm -hmm. And I remember going on some uh, BBC forum and people were saying, how the hell did you have prior knowledge about what was going to happen on that day? And they put it down to that. Oh, it was a, a glitch in communication. No, no, it can't be. You can't predict no, something no, no. happening, <laughs> a major event 40 minutes before it happened and say, oh, that was just a glitching. No, it doesn't work. It's like it's like me saying um, to you now, Paul, that um, your local post office has just dropped to the ground and you look outside yeah. and you go, you go, no, Chris, it hasn't. It's, it's still there, mate. And then <laughs> literally 20 minutes later, yeah, you'd be like, Chris, how did you know that? Exactly. You know, you'd want answers. So... And, and the woman who uh, gave that report, she's never been seen again. I'm not saying anything's happened to her. Yeah. She disappeared from the, the channel. Uh, I know. Did you see this, the satellite feed came down? She's yeah. trying to tell the whole world that this thing has just fallen out the sky and it's literally like behind her. <laughs> and then the, the yes. chap in the studio, was it Nicholas Witt? No, not him, but, but anyway, he's going, yeah. um, oh, we seem to have lost the... Yeah, of course, because <laughs> yeah. you're, you're 20, yeah. minutes, uh, 20 minutes ahead of the narrative. It was... Uh, right. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Let's let's get back to the Falklands then, because I know a lot of yeah. people watching probably um, are, are, are focused on that, but, but mm -hmm. I make no apologies, Paul, for highlighting all this stuff, because we all need to learn somewhere that we've been lied to. Yeah. Not folks not talking about the Falklands in particular now, but what war in general, conflict, how it serves the elites, how it serves the military industrial complex, how much bombs, bullets, guns that they sell, which we pay for. Um, I mean, we're seeing an example at the moment, aren't we? How many millions a day are we giving to a certain country uh, yeah. there in, uh, what do we call that, Eastern Europe? Mm -hmm. Um, but let's just go back to your own story. So HMS Yarmouth, is is that a frigate? An anti-submarine frigate, yes. It was yeah. commissioned in 1960. So it's roughly the same age as me. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's quite an old ship at the time, at, at the time of the conflict. 
Yeah. Am I right in saying it doesn't get much of a shout out in the whole Falklands narrative, does it? Because not I... really. But it, the ones that get the the bells and whistles are the Hermes, the Invincible, uh, the, and the ships that got hit. You know, the Sheffield, yeah. Coventry, that sort of thing. And as time goes on, uh, the ship I was on and lots of others just fade, fade away, you know. But at the time, we were one of the busiest ships down there. You know, uh, we were we were about a mile away from the Sheffield when it was hit by the Exocet. And then we obviously went to help. And I was on watch at the time, so in the bowels of the ship in the communications office. So... I didn't get to see, I saw the aftermath, but I didn't get to see what was going on with the fire and that sort of thing. Um, but we went alongside and we were firefighting, but the heat that was coming off the decks was just phenomenal and we had, we had to pull away. As we did, and I don't know whether you know about this, it is mentioned in the book, uh, in the diary part of the book, and I wrote it down at the time in 1982. We detected a submarine. Um, and it fired torpedoes at us. This is just after the Sheffield had been hit by an accident. And we were an anti-submarine frigate and we tried to hunt it down. And our, um, our flight commander, who was the pilot of our Wasp helicopter, he went up and he could see the thing uh, fleeing. And we were chasing the thing and dropping depth charges on it. I think we dropped about 10. And it buggered off, it got away, and we placed the report with the MOD and they basically said, you dreamt that it didn't happen. You know, mm. it's just ridiculous. They didn't want to even consider the idea that the Argentinians could uh, perform a, a, an ex, a, a sort of exocet and submarine attack all at once didn't want to attribute that to them so they just said no it didn't happen mm-hmm. and i think that's something that needs um looking into and it, there's a further complication with this story chris because um argentina only had two submarine two submarines at the start of the war the first one got uh, scuppered at south georgia can't remember the name just escapes me the other one was not in the vicinity of us. It was further to the north at the time, miles away to the north. So me and others have made the assumption it must have been somebody else's submarine, but who's, you know. Yeah. And um, we've sort of assumed, is was it a Russian submarine? Because they would have had a lot of interest in this war. You know, we possibly sent vessels down there, you know, to... Um, but firing a firing a torpedo at us <laughs> that's that is a big story and this is this is a story that's not really out there it's never i'm glad i can tell it now because it gives it just a bit more uh publicity you know mm. the thing when we saw what we didn't see it but when what i didn't see it but we saw that as a threat to our lives, you know, so we've got to attack it and get rid of it, you know, mm. us against them sort of thing. Um, I just recently, when I was, when the book was published, I, I went onto Facebook and I joined the HMS Yarmouth group and I got back in touch with a lot of the lads that I knew at the time. I hadn't spoken to them for decades and they're unshakable in their belief 
to a man that's a submarine. And these are the sonar guys I'm talking about now. Mm-hmm. One of them even said he recorded, it used to be called on tape, cassette tapes then, but he recorded the sound of the submarine torpedoes being fired, the, the sort of uh, doors opening and closing, and he sent it off to the MOD as evidence, and nothing came back. You know, he told me about that in uh, in about March this year. You know, but they won't give it any. I mean, tell the mainstream media they won't say a thing about this. You know, um, so we're stuck with that, really. But so I've gone a little bit off the subject, I'm afraid, because we were talking about HS Yarmouth sort of uh, activity in the region. We were so busy after the landings uh, on the day of the landings. HMS Ardent was bombed. I don't know if you recall that one, Chris, but it was clobbered. It took about 15 hits uh, from Skyhawk, Argentinian Skyhawk jets at the back end. And I was off watch at the time and I went up top to, to help out. We went alongside and we were taking all the survivors off. They all come on board with all the survival suits on, you know. And um, I, I was down at the back end and our back end was next to Ardent. There was flames pouring out and smoke billowing out. And there were two lads stuck on the back end who were just stuck there. They couldn't get forward at all because of the, the, the flames. And they only had life jackets on. They had no survival suits on. And I'm thinking, Christ, what are you going to do? And they jumped in, into the sea. And I thought, they've got, got about two minutes to survive then too. And then when that happened, straight away, over my shoulder, I heard a, a chopper coming in, a helicopter from HMS Broadsword. And it had the guy coming down on the winch as they were flying along. And it stopped above these two fellas as they were floating off. And it picked them both up. And it was just the most amazing thing to watch. I thought, wow. Hope they survive, you know. And I didn't find out until a, a couple of months ago when I saw a video on YouTube, and it was a fellow called Commander Commander Enticknap. It's an unusual name, Commander Enticknap. He was one of those guys who got to the back and jumped into the sea. And um, I watched him on this video, and he, he talked about his experiences, and he mentioned the other fellow as well. He didn't say he, he died, so they both survived. So that was quite a, um, that was really good news for me, you know, a, a couple of months ago when I saw that. Um, and uh, and the Yarmouth, even though people don't talk about it much now, when the, when HMS Glamorgan was hit by a land-launched Exocet, uh, that killed about 12, I think, 12 or 16, was it, uh, sailors? And uh, we were only half a mile away from that, and we offered to go and help, but they didn't need it because they, they, they were still moving, they were still sailing okay. It was actually the flight deck that got hit by the missile, so they, was, they, they were still sort of all right, you know. So uh, Yarmouth was a busy ship. And this, this just goes back to what we're saying, isn't it, how proud we are of, yeah. of our bloody... British service personnel, uh, yes. uh, just utter acts of selflessness to to save to save your your your, your fellow soldiers and and sailors and, and and totally. It's a you know, Chris. It's a human thing. That's what we do. We we help each other in a war. It's it's not just us Brits doing it because whoever's fighting in a war will do that. They protect their brothers, don't they? You know, mm. 
Um, Do you think that's part of the sort of scam? In what way, sorry? Well, I spoke to a lot of veterans from, let's just say, um, well, let's not just say, but I have spoke to a lot of veterans from Afghanistan. And yeah, if you were to touch on the things that we've been talking about, immediately you get like this shut off. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, yeah. well, you know, basically they was aware something won't right. Yeah. But yeah. the, but the reflex action is, yeah, but I was just there for the guy on the left and the right of me. And, mm. and, and we get that. Yeah. We, you know, we get that as, as, as fighters that of course you are, but of course that doesn't, it's not really helpful in the long term. <laughs> <laughs> you know, addressing of like, why do we keep finding ourselves in, in, like you said, people love each other, Paul, you know, they, they just That's do. Right. They just right. do. I'm, I'm, I'm very well traveled. I've met, met yeah. hundreds of thousands yeah. of people had a yeah. very small issue with a few, a few of, 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 of them who was on the wrong yeah. side of the tracks. They was, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. got robbed a few times, but they was just All me. Right. They okay. was just making their way through life the same as the stupid yeah, things I've done in my life. Course. But but generally yeah. speaking, mm. you know, it, <laughs> I mean, they they had the worst, the absolute worst of it down in the Falklands. Um, they were ba they were bayonets out and everything, hand to hand um, fighting going on down there. And that that's when it's you against them. And you, you're going to do your utmost to protect your, your, your body, aren't you? You're going to do whatever it takes to do that. Yeah. I was, uh, I studied in, I won't go into the details, but I studied in Norway for, for six months. And um, it was before I went to work with street kids in Africa. Yeah. And my best buddy at this school was an Argentinian chap called Diego. And all the time, Paul, I used to just think, Bloody hell, mate. Had we been a few years older, I'd, yes. be, I'd be trying to kill you in your foxhole and you'd be yeah. trying to you trying to be kill me coming up that mountain. Yeah. And I've, yet, met, I've met a couple of Argentinians this year. So um one of them was actually in, in the war. He was one of the lads who used to arm the jets. He'd put the bombs on the jets and before they got they flew over to bomb us, you know. Julio, his name is, and I met him here in New Brighton. Uh, just not far away from me and um, he wants to come over and live here actually because he hates Argentina you know because the, the country's in a right mess you know he wants to uh, come over and set, move his family and everything over here you know well he so, must appreciate the BBC because it's the BBC that told him oi you're, you're, you're not arming them right and then they're not <laughs> they're, yeah. they're not going off you need to tweak it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Insane. That's right. Yeah. They were, they were setting the, um, because it, it unravels, doesn't it? As the bomb comes down, if you, if you drop it too low, it won't unravel and it won't go off. So that, that that's mm. the thing. Yeah. But, same uh, with Goose, Goose Green. I've spoken to a, a few yeah. people at Goose Green, the wonderful Spud Ely, who later want, went on to become 22 SAS. And yeah, and is, right. uh, I, I believe it was Spud that was just saying the utter demoralization amongst the men when they're preparing for this secret attack. Surprise, obviously, yes. is everything as an, as an infantry man. Yeah. And what did the BBC do? They went and told the Argentinians that the powers are coming. I mean, yeah. it, 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 <laughs> 
No wonder people don't pay a licence fee, isn't it? You know? That's right. It's stuff Mm. like that. I don't think that was the only incident, you know, with the BBC. There were were others. uh, I won't go into all that, but um, funnily enough, while while I was in the the, the Iranian embassy siege again is a prime example. The BBC told told them everything. That's that's (laughs) Um, right. (laughs) You know, but... Sorry, Paul. I'm, 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 we got a lot of mutual ground on this one, oh, you know. Totally, e- yeah. e- even though obviously I wasn't in the Falklands, but uh, what it's funny um, that embassy siege, you know, because that that was a peak during Miss. That was the peak of Mrs. Thatcher's uh, premiership. She got in in '79, and then only the next year, in April May 1980, was that siege, you know. And uh, it, I think, only one hostage was killed, and then it all ended sort of peacefully. And she was, oh, everyone loved the sort of thing after that. But very quickly, she went like that, right down, because her, her economic policies started to kick in, sort of thing, you know. And then and in 81, there were riots, and there were 3 million unemployed, and there were top sort of um, economists saying, whatever you do, don't put up taxes. And she did. She put taxes up, you know, and it made everything even worse, you know. So... Uh, what what that what that did? Industry and manufacturing was decimated, or not decimated straight away, but there's mines closing, the steel plants closing, and there's all these big major in, industrial uh, sites closing down, unemployment shooting up. And uh, sorry, I'm off on one here, but uh, by the end no, of eighty one, by the end of eighty one, Chris, uh, Mrs. Thatcher had a twenty three percent approval rating. And that is a record. It's the, it's the lowest approval rating for any prime minister ever. Even, you know, Cameron during Brexit and Theresa May, you know, how bad they were. They never went that low sort of thing. So that was all in the, in the, the, the run-up to the uh, invasion, in the Falkland Islands invasion. So uh, she had about 60 MPs who wanted her out. I know they're selfish, aren't they? They're all MPs who are in constituencies where they've got a narrow majority, you know, so they're thinking, well, damn, they'd be kicked out next time, all this, you know, so they wanted air out very quickly, you know. And that, that that's why I, that, that's where this book, um, she needed some catalyzing event, you know, to rescue her fortunes, and that's what she got. And I could go into the details of that if you, if you like, or unless you want to talk about other... Um, issues you know i can't talk about that stuff mate it's your podcast like i say apologies if i'm talking a lot paul it's just like you know you know i'm I'm passionate for so many reasons i I know many of the boys that were down there and the stories yeah yeah yeah. the stories my my uh, my mate h was with four five and um was it was it Two sisters, I think, four or five took. If yeah. I've got that wrong, folks, apologies. I'm getting a bit senile in my old age. But he said, Chris, you know, you see, all, you, you learn all this stuff in training. You know, safety catch, change lever, or they didn't have a change lever on the SLR, but, you know, yeah. fit your magazine, you know. He, he said, when we were down there, he said all that shit went out the window. He said you just yeah. he said you just fucking lined up. He said if you look behind you, he said there was a, just a row of helmets. Yeah. Where everyone had just took their helmet off, binned it and put their green berries on. Yeah. He said you went up that hill 
all this like fire and maneuver pepper pot you know lay down suppress he, he said that 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 was all gone he said you just fought for your life yes he said all yeah. this like you know stow your magazine away in your pooch as we we call it a pooch as opposed to a pouch friends you know <laughs> he's, he's like no he says you 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 get that fucker off he says you throw it as far as away as you fucking can you get in the next on and you and 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 it's it's insane, mate. Yeah, and I tried yeah. to get I tried to get yeah. H, H on the podcast, and he said, "Chris, I can't do it, mate. I can't yeah. do it." He, he said, "I'm I'm, I'm sixty years old, and I've just been diagnosed with PTSD." Oh right. He said, "I've carried it all these years." He said, okay. "I can't, I can't." He said, "Me and so many of the lads can't go to remembrance. We can't, yeah. you know, we just want nothing, nothing to do with it all." Yeah. Um. Just the 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 stories of just bravery you know mm. lads mm. um you know like literally messing themselves as they yomped along because like if yeah. you couldn't keep up with a march yeah. and you sat down for two and you, you they would just have to say look we've got to leave you you know yeah we yeah. we got the we the company's got to keep going or the unit's got to keep going. They, mm. H, this is what H's words. He said, "Chris, we'd give them as much ammunition as we could, yeah, and then we'd just leave them, yeah, yeah." And yeah. okay, if they're lucky, a chopper might fly over and pick them up, right? Or 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 a yeah a, a vehicle in the rear who's got grid reference might be able to pick. But but basically, <laughs> yeah leaving them to fight for their life, you yeah. know, and, 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 and some of them, some of those lads, um, I know they've been trained for it, very well trained for that, but the young lads, some of them are not long out of school, really, you know, I mean, on our ship, for example, there was a lad, um, you joined at 16, you can join at 16 and a half, like, like I did. And this lad, um, I think he was a cook, a chef, whatever. And um, I saw him in the passageway once and he was just, somebody was comforting him. He was just crying. He'd only just, he left school, joined the Navy, done his training. Um, this is in the run-up to the invasion that he was doing all this. And it was just timed. He joined the Yarmouth and next thing you know, he thought he was going on this deployment that we were going on to the Far East. And he's bloody going to war. He's 16 and a half. The poor kid. And the worst, the worst thing was when we got back into Ross South, it's where we were based um, in Scotland. His family will have been there. My family were there. Everyone's families were there on, on the quayside. And we're all off to the pub for a drink. He couldn't have a drink. He's only 16 and a half, you know what I mean? Mm. So you've got to ask that question, that, you know, are, are young boys old enough for that sort of thing, you know? Well, it's the old cliche, isn't it? If you weren't allowed to join up until you were fifty, no, nobody would. <laughs> well, I yeah. mean, some, 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 yeah. some would, you know, some still would. But are you familiar with the in the build-up before the Argentines landed that there was British special forces on the island? And that the islanders kept seeing like people pop up in ghillie suits, you know, camouflage suits, um, mm. which which kind of hinted that obviously somebody somewhere knew what was just about to. Wow, man, 
I'm not familiar with it, Chris, I'm afraid. Uh, no. Yeah, let we've me, got, uh, um, let me just. Sub, uh, sorry. Sub, no, 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 settled, no, no. You the go settled version of events, you know, which is questionable, tells us that the first, the first sort of inkling that the government got that there might be an invasion was uh, a scrap metal company, an Argentinian scrap metal company uh, landed in South Georgia. And they were, it was, they were honouring the contract. They'd been called in there to dismantle a whaling station on South Georgia. Um, but when they were there, they raised an Argentinian flag. You know, and that news of that got back to the UK, you know, back to Downing Street. And that was the first sort of inkling they had. And this was in, I think, what will it have been, about late March uh, 1982, so a couple of weeks before the invasion. But I hadn't heard about uh, special forces potentially being there before the invasion. No. Well, if we think about it logically, the notion that Argentina could have this put this plan together where they're going to retake the Falklands. And like you say, the first stage is under the guise of taking this whaling station down on South Georgia. Yeah. Looking at my map here. Although I should Um, jump in here, Chris, and say they'd originally planned to invade in September 82, because that's when the summer started. (laughs) It was this whaling thing that caused them to bring the whole thing forward to April. And April was probably the worst time because we were just going into winter then. Like April, May, June, the sea is starting to freeze over down there. Then you know, it just um, so sorry, I put it in there, but uh, no, 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 it's fine, mate. It's fine. Um, my, the point I'm getting at is like knowing what we know now about intelligence that there's moles there's spies everywhere. There's people that yeah. have got dual allegiances. There's people with dual passports, blah, blah, yeah. what, like they didn't know, like British intelligence didn't know that that was going to, this would explain why, uh, I think it was uh, Ricky Phillips, folks, who's been on the podcast. He wrote a book called The First Casualty. Um, He's banned me on Twitter. <laughs> He's blocked me on Twitter. Yeah. Ricky, D- Ricky D. Phillips. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Mate, I'm not at liberty to talk about my guests. I just think it's unprofessional. And, and <laughs> but, but but let's just say, you know, there's a there was a whole raft of shit that came with that podcast. Yeah, I, I got attacked by hundreds of Argentinians yeah. uh, be, because, for, well, for a start, they're very, they're all quite like brainwashed about Las Malvinas, aren't they? You know, yeah. they're, they're taught yeah. it in schools, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But they yeah. particularly react to that book. It's called The First Casualty because it yeah. it makes a lot of claims, um, and it, it's that that thing that the truth is always somewhere in the middle. For mm. example, what Ricky did highlight, uh, I believe, was how fiercely the Royal Marines detachment down there fought. Yeah. You know, they really did hold these guys off with, with no fatalities to themselves Yeah, over uh, overwhelming odds. I believe South Georgia was the, the, the the similar situation and um, they all got removed, sent back to, I believe it was Ascension Island or, or, or somewhere in Chile um, I've been in Chile. I think I know 
um was it the was it the capital i'm not anyway the royal marines, yeah the 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 royal marines once removed to um santiago apparently the bar bill for the night was something like three thousand three thousand pounds yeah which the government the government quietly paid right yeah that was a cheap price was it <laughs> these boys went through a lot you know yeah. And what people don't under, um, understand, Paul, they never surrendered. Yeah. Okay? The governor, was it Sir Rex Hunt? Yeah. He negotiated a ceasefire, right? Something completely different. Mm-hmm. Okay. And all of this was hushed up. The, yeah. fact they, the fact they put up one hell of a scrap was hushed up. Yeah. All, you know, just political shenanigans going on there that that we don't know the truth to to this day but after after i had ricky on the show my god we just got hit by just it's the most downvoted podcast i've ever done and that's because of the yes. argentinian quote okay right yeah um it, it, yeah it's... ricky phillips does present the um government line if you like the, the british government line Right down the line, you know. Um, Sir Lawrence Friedman is the main sort of Falklands histo- Falklands War historian, and he's the same, you know. That's why he's a sir. <laughs> For people watching, there is a film by um, Oliver Stone. That you, I don't know whether you've seen it, but it's called Ukraine on Fire. On Fire, yeah. And this came out before February this year, so before before the war, well before. And it goes into the history of Ukraine and how I think it was 200,000 Jews were murdered by the Ukrainian government in the Second World War. And there was a big, there were big, uh, there was a big Nazi party and there have been Nazi parties ever since. So even to call um, people neo-Nazis is probably a bit wrong because they sort of died in the wall for years, um, Nazis, you know. And I've noticed that a lot of this is obviously being covered up by the cover. The coverage doesn't address it at all, you know. Uh, so people only get half the story. They think they think this um, conflict started in, when Putin invaded in February this year. Well, no, it goes way back, way back. And there are there are places out there on the internet where you can get the full hit on what is actually being happening and what is being covered up, you know. And even Oliver Stone's narrative is, I've seen that, you know, I've I've watched everything I can on Ukraine because I just believe in being informed. Going going back to Stefan Bandera, his arrest, how he still controlled things from inside prison. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Like you say, like there was a significant number of people in Ukraine that that fought with Germany. Um, Yeah. Etc. 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 Also, you got to remember that uh, Oliver Stone was he not responsible for Platoon? I think he was. Yeah, Platoon. So what you've got there, and this is like the levels of understanding, Paul. We need to get to if we're going to create a better future for our kids, right? And Platoon, it started off with Rambo, First Blood, right? Yeah. I'll state hands down now one of my favorite films, right? Yeah. What they did is after Vietnam, the the popularity of war was zero. Yeah. They faced riots in the States 
they were, you know, people with the service personnel were getting called baby killers and all that, you know, no one respected. Okay. It's not their fault. They were just, you know, doing for president and country not their, but, but the, the tide against war had changed. People were like, no, we yeah. don't need it. We need peace. We yeah. need love, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. And of course that poses a big threat. If you run an military industrial complex globally and your war is part of your, uh, can we say new one, two, three, four world order, yeah. you, you, you need yeah. people buying into this good against it. <clears throat> da, da, da. So they very cleverly brought started to bring out in the media a different type of narrative. And it started, I say it started, to my knowledge, it started with Sylvester Stallone's First Blood, which is an incredible film. And it really did highlight the veterans kind of plight. But what it was doing was saying, hey, guys, like, yeah, you, 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 you hate what happened in Vietnam, but like, look at it from this individual's perspective what this guy went through. He's a war hero. He's a green beret. He's congressional medal of honor. He's been behind enemy lines. He can eat stuff that will make a billy goat puke. He's, you know, he's got these torture things across his, and very subtly, Paul, they're indoctrinating the public into loving the role of the veteran. Okay. Yeah. At the same time, you've got music coming out in the charts no, 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 19, you know, yes. the average age of the combat soldier in Vietnam was no, 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 19, right? I don't know if that's substantiated. It doesn't matter. But again, again, they trying to make you feel for these young men. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't, yeah. but what I'm saying is it ain't, yes. it ain't for genuine, genuine, you know, it, it's very disingenuous. Yes. And then you had uh, songs like, uh, a big marine named camouflage, you know, and again, <laughs> again, grabbing the public psyche, putting them into this individual to see them as 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 heroes. OK. Yeah. And then, of course, after First Blood, then you had your wave of Vietnam films. Hey, stop thinking of war in political terms. Think of it in as the individual. These guys. They're basically boys. They sent over there. They're having to dig their own shit away and 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 camp out in a jungle in this torrential rain. And and they never know, you know, a twig snaps. Does that mean they're going to? Yeah. You know, it's a very clever narrative, Paul. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a very. But how many? I'm, I'm, I challenge anybody watching now. How many people have ever said it to you in this way? You know, how many people have ever just said what I said? Nobody has said that to me in those terms. I've got got to say for myself that I've always tried to avoid those sorts of films because I know that the the reasoning behind it is a psychological one, like you say. You know, it's not just entertainment. I take it, Paul, sorry to, to keep talking on, but this is really important we understand this. Off the back of this genre, you got your, thank you for your service, sir. Can I buy you a cup of coffee, sir? Right. And you see that out and out brainwashing in youngsters today. Cause people say to me, thank you for your service. And I'm like, dude, you don't know me. Yeah. And you know me when I serve, you probably think I was a bit of a dick. Yeah. 
and and like what is it you're thanking me for i just did yeah. a good job because i was homeless yeah. living in my car when i joined up and joining the military yeah. seemed like a good thing yeah yeah you know yeah and and that that is the that is the culture that these this power elite have managed to craft off yeah. the back of a war that was an out and out failure cost the yeah. lives of thousands upon thousands of young american men Mm-hmm. which set the public against war. Yeah. They slowly dripped it back in yeah. very cleverly for people to love war. Yeah. That's and right. then, and then we've seen the last 20 years. It, it's. Mm-hmm. And Chris, when you say about people uh, being recruited in, into the army, Navy or air force, they've all always been very, very clever about how they, go about recruiting and it's not just adverts between the tv programs it's in the tv programs as well um, like my example that I've, I've i've said this before it, it was i was 10 so it's 1969 i think neil armstrong had just landed on the moon and um, not long after that i put the telly on and blue peter came on and you remember john noakes i do sort of, yeah he was a daredevil. He'd do anything, wouldn't he? And uh, he took a camera crew down to HMS Ganges, which was the uh, the Navy's uh, training establishment in Suffolk. And that's where all the young lads joined, all the 16-year-olds, that's where they all joined. And uh, Anyway, I put the telly on and Blue Peter came on. John Noakes was there. And he, was, he saw this huge mast. It was 140 feet tall, big white mast. And they had all these sailors lined up around the bottom of the mast and the Royal Marines band was playing music and they started slowly going up, up the rigging, you know, and John Noakes was there with the, with the young lads and right at the front and their destination was the top, right to the very top. I thought John Noakes was going to be the man who got onto the very top, but it wasn't, it was this young lad. And at the top of the mast was like a blue wooden disc about a foot in diameter. And this, this brave young 16-year-old gets up standing on top of it, stands to attention and salutes, you know. And I was just, wow, that is just amazing. And that, that's what, uh, watching this young lad, you know, swaying in the breeze 140 feet up, I thought, wow, that's just amazing. I'm, I'm going to do that. And six years later, I joined. So that's the effect. That's the effect of that sort of propaganda, isn't it? You know, I want, I want to be the only lad joining deciding to join that day there would have been probably hundreds maybe thousands you know Mm. mate just for our audience out there i know i know i know what they're like we've got to say when neil armstrong landed on the television not not on the moon (laughs) yeah (laughs) otherwise we're otherwise we're part of the problem yeah um let's Let's get back to the Falklands. And I, I'm really yeah. in two minds here, Paul, because on the one hand, I'm fascinated to hear your story as a 22-year-old down there. Yeah. But also, yeah. on the other hand, I'm fascinated to hear like the substance of your book. So let's take yeah. that second bit first. What, okay. um, at what point then, and, and I'm just going to let you talk now because I've talked yeah. enough. I, I, okay. I, do, I do get that. At okay. what point did you start to question the narrative and um, what did you discover when i realized where the falkland islands were that was the first sort of misgiving i had uh, over thatcher's decision to send 
30,000 uh, sailors, soldiers and airmen, 8,000 miles, you know, because there were only 1,800 um, Falkland Islanders at the time. It's gone up since. It's about 3,000 now. But there were 1,800 at the time, and that didn't stack up for me. Not really. If there'd been a million uh, sort of Falkland Islanders, then maybe, yeah, it was worth doing that, but just 1,800. So straight away I was thinking, what is the real reason for this, for sending me and all my mates, you know, uh, down to the Falkland Islands? And if we can just pick up what, just repeat what I was saying before about Thatcher being elected in 79 and the embassy siege and then uh, her economic policies, which were very tough and unforgiving on the working class. We had all that going on. She was very unpopular and the 23% approval rating. And then, in my opinion, she needed something to turn her situation around because she'd only been in a couple of years and um, it looked like she was going to be on her way out very quickly. So my, my position is that this event wasn't as one-sided as we've been led to believe over the last 40 years. You know, I talked about the, the sort of mainstream settled version of events that people like Ricky D. Phillips don't like you to question, you know. Um, now, I can go can into... Can I just what say, we, mate, that, sorry, that I, I speak to a lot of people, they're all the same, mate. They've they they, yeah. they they've just got this blinkered, one-sided... Then, yeah, it, it's not that they're bad people. It's just yeah. they don't, you know. I know that. I realise that, uh, Chris. Yeah, to, be, totally. to become an enlightened person, you have to have the ability to hold two opposing thoughts in yeah. your head, and possibly yeah. ascribe to neither of them. Yeah, but yeah. we don't see this with left brain yeah. thinking. We see this. Yeah. You know, this, this, right, this is a narrative you're taught in school. I'm going to go with it for the rest of my life. And, and if nothing happens on someone's life journey to, you know, to, to chuck a, a pickle in a frigging apple barrel. You know, like a spanner into the works. Yeah. Like in my case, it was chronic addiction and I had to like start working right. stuff out because otherwise I was going to die. Right. Okay. But yeah. of course, a lot of people don't have that in their life. So they just, they mm. only know this childhood narrative and that yeah. becomes their, yeah, that becomes their thing. And so what you're saying, Paul, is um, it, more realistically in that kind of scenario, political talks kind of could have taken place first. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll go into what was being concealed from the public um, by the conservative governments at the time. Um the first thing was in, during 1980, Mrs. Thatcher and her cabinet ministers were having trade talks with the, the hunter, the Argentine hunter. And these went on in 1981 when uh, Galtieri was elected. So what Thatcher was actually dealing with Galtieri with these trade talks and for, so, trying to sort of forge uh, cooperation into the future. So that was it's never talked about, Chris, you know. So that's something that needs to be said. And then um, we're doing arms deals, Britain and Argentina. We were selling, um, even back in the 70s, we were selling destroyers, which are quite a big piece of kit. Um, this was during the Labour government in the 70s. We were selling them to Argentina. And you could say it's 8,000 miles away. It's not going to affect us. Uh, but, you know, it's still going on. Um, 
And then in 1981, Mrs. Thatcher brought out something called the British Nationality Act. Up until that point, the Falkland Islanders had been recognised as Britons, okay? When she brought this act out, it wasn't just the Falkland Islands, but it was lots of overseas dependencies. They all became uh, like overseas dependents. I'm not sure what the exact term is, but a crucial clause in this act was they would be barred from entering the UK. Nobody ever talks about this, but this is in 1981, uh, just before the invasion. So you, do you can mean, see that. Do you mean the, in terms of like they they wouldn't be denied a passport, would they? Because they or how, how would they be barred? They couldn't. They could no longer apply to to um, go to the UK like they could in the past. That's mm-hmm. the way it was. As Britons, they could travel you know, to from the Falklands to the UK probably backwards, you know, so she limited that, the scope of their travel by saying you can no longer come back here and retire in the UK or whatever, you can't do it anymore. So that goes against everything she ever said after the invasion, which was um, the Falkland Islanders' interests are paramount. That was the, the, the stock quote. Every time a camera was put in front of her, she would come out with that, you know, it was just repeated until it got drummed into us, you know. Um, but that goes that directly against what she'd been doing in this act only months before. That's what I'm trying to, trying to sort of say. Yeah. And then in 1980, um, she sent a foreign minister called Nicholas Ridley. I don't know if you remember that, remember yeah, that yeah, name. Yeah. yeah. He, was t- he was the sort of hammer of the miners later on. He closed all the mines later on. But uh, she sent him on a top-secret mission to Switzerland to meet Argentina's Deputy Foreign Secretary, uh, Commodore, somebody who who can't, you know, the name escapes. But uh, they went to the the Hotel du Lac, a big uh, posh hotel in Geneva. Nobody knew a thing about this. And this was to talk about um, a 99-year leaseback deal, similar to what went on in Hong Kong. Do you remember that in 97 when... Chris Patton had to hand over Hong Kong very reluctantly to the Chinese. And can this I was, just can I just yeah. say something very quickly there, right? Yeah. The lease on Hong Kong was only ever for the Northern Territories. Right. So so the Kowloon, Kowloon Peninsula, the island was always British, right? Oh. And yeah. I lived in Hong Kong at this time of the just before the handover. Yeah. Uh, the Hong Kong Hong Kongese <laughs> just made that term up. Uh, yeah, okay. They didn't want it. They didn't want to be back under communist China. Yeah. They was a land of freedom and opportunity and capitalism and let's make money any which way we can. Yeah. And it was never, it was never, it was only the Northern Territories that were ceded under this lease. The island was British. I never and, knew that. And, right. and after... Um, Patton's uh, governorship over there, they handed it all back. Right. Okay. And they never should have done it anyway, despite this thing, because what happened 100 years ago ain't the same as what is happening today. Yeah. You know, yeah. they should have stood up for the people of Hong Kong, and we've seen okay. what they've been through now. They're right. still having to, you know, undergo all these restrictions and da 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 um, 
What do you think was behind that, Chris? Because it it just seems like a ridiculous thing to do. If, if what think, you're saying is right, you know. I think to I'm people that, that, to people that haven't been through the mill, mate, life is yeah. cheap. They don't yeah. give up. They yeah. they could not give a. They they don't care. To them, okay. it's you know. To them, it's like let's appease China because it's a massive growing superpower, oh, okay. and we we want yeah. we want yeah. to be on seen to be on good terms with them. In oh, fact, okay. economically, we want to be on good terms, <laughs> and and they 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 sold all those people down a river, mate. You know. Okay. Right. But, but yeah. um Okay. Sorry, I didn't realise that, Chris. After we when we finished, I'll go and uh, have a read of that. Yeah, that sounds. Uh, it's fascinating to be honest. Yeah, I'll have a look at that. It's ridiculous, um, mate. It's like um, I can't think of a, a, a you know, can't think of a good a, a, a simile or analogy, but it's yeah, it's yeah. like it's like giving the Isle of Wight over to France because you know something a hundred years ago. Yeah. Well, okay. what do the people in the Isle of Wight think? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Um, where was I? I was on a Ridley, yeah, Nicholas Ridley's mission to Switzerland um, and the 99-year leaseback deal. And what would have had to happen under that leaseback deal was um, all flag masts in the Falkland Islands, you know, outside, say, government house, they would have had to fly um, a union flag and beneath it an Argentine flag. You know, that, that's, that would have been agreed going forward type of thing. So when the Falk- when the Falkland Islands they tried to keep it secret, um, the Falkland Islanders did know about it, um, and he had to Ridley had to fly all the way down there and see what their opinion was about it, and they gave him very short shrift. They allowed him to speak and all that, but they gave him very short shrift. Mm. Kind of gave him the bums rush and sent him on his way, and off he went back to the UK. So that didn't work. And then it got voted down in Parliament as well. So, but what, what they did with Ridley, they, they, they kept it secret and they, they tried to put a cover story out saying that Nicholas and his wife had paid a visit to Switzerland to do some watercolour paintings of um, the fantastic lakes. You know, that was the sort of cover story that they put out to the media. What's really, you know, they come along and said, What's Ridley doing going to Switzerland? That was the. Uh, the uh, story sort of thing. So, <laughs> but uh, the next thing, sorry, um, defense cuts. You probably know about this. <laughs> Prior to uh, the invasion, there were sweeping defense cuts, uh, mainly uh, that clobbered uh, the British Navy and it upsets um, Admiral Leach. Yeah, Admiral Leach. Um, he said, Look, <laughs> I've got a Navy here. And it needs to be able to react, you know, um, if something happens somewhere and it affects British interests, I've got to be able to send my vessels at the drop of a hat. If these cuts go ahead, I'm not going to be able to do that. What are you doing? Type of thing. And she wouldn't entertain him. She wouldn't even give him a meeting or anything. Um, and then included in those cuts were, was the HMS Endurance, the guard ship, the very guardship for the Falkland Islands, you know, it, it makes you question, what, did they know, you were saying before, did they know before the invasion, but they were cutting the ship, you know, um, and then Lord Carrington, who was the foreign secretary, piped up saying, look, 
H-Smash Endurance is not a sim- just a symbol of defence. Uh, it's also a political symbol that provides reassurance to those islanders and, and, and tells them that we're there. Should anything happen, we're there to protect them. And she's saying, decommission it, get rid of it, you know, mothball the thing. So that's the other thing. All these things I've just listed. Um, Can I just come in there, just just on on a personal point of view? Well, it's not personal. I'm sure a lot of people. It's also a survey ship. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, For the tokenistic amount of money cost to run it is, you know, we're probably paying that to Ukraine every day now, right? Yeah. Uh, but also, it was uh, endurance with Shackleton's ship, wasn't it? Yeah, it was absolutely. Yeah, the original, yeah, yeah, yeah. an absolute legend of it's a symbolic really, in many ways. Yeah, well. of 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 exploration and a guy that just really was a hero. He rescued That's all his right, men yeah. off uh, off Elephant Island. Yeah. Um, yeah. it, it shouldn't even be on the table to get rid of that. It, that's weird. <laughs> that that that's the. You know, that's the the backbone of British (laughs) exploratory spirit. But uh, exactly. And in a way, it was the biggest it was the biggest sign to Galtieri, combined with all the other things I've just listed, to make him think that any invasion would probably be uncontested. You know, he could go in and probably just take it and just relax and you know, move part of the population over and all that. And, you know, obviously that didn't happen. My opinion is that Thatcher laid a trap for him and he fell right into it. That's what that's what the book goes into in a lot more detail, hell of a lot more detail. I mean, th- this is only um, 168 pages, but I've crammed a hell of a lot into it, you know. You could probably read it in two hours, you know, um, but um, that's it, really. And just, just to say that the 30-year rule um, has now become the 20-year rule. So politicians are not given as much leeway these days. But back then, Thatcher had everything we didn't know, everything that was concealed would stay that way for 30 years. Um, and that's it's a huge benefit for any uh politician or cabinet or whoever you can do what they like as long as the press doesn't find out they're doing it and keep it keep stunned for three decades you know so the invasion came after that and um our ship was in the mediterranean mediterranean um when we heard about it i was the first person to know um that we were not going on our far east deployments we, we were off to singapore malaysia uh, you know you, Probably lots of exotic locations that you've been to. I'm sure you have, but I never got to them. You know, I, I got. We were on our way to Naples, and uh, we were about a couple of hours out. And I was stood in front of the teleprinter. I was in charge of the starboard watch team of communicators, and I was stood in front of the teleprinter. And this message starts coming out: flash message, you know, top presidents. And I ripped it off, and it said, "Turn around." Go back to Gibraltar, rearm, refuel, take on stores. After you've done that, go and join the HMS Hermes battle group in the Atlantic and then sail south. You know, so that was that. I was the first person to know, and I was thinking, I was only 22, then I was thinking, what should I do with this message? You know, 
Wow. I thought I'd better be responsible here. And I marched up, up top to the bridge and gave it to the first lieutenant. And he said, thanks. Don't breathe a word. So that was that. I think in, within a few hours, we were turning around and we were back to Gibraltar. And funnily enough, when we got to Gibraltar, talk about being ready for battle. Every ship must have been like this. Um, it sank in for a lot of us that this was the real thing, the real deal, because they started issuing us with dog tags. So we had these dog tags around our necks with our blood type, our service number, our name. And we're thinking, Jesus, if, we, if something happens to me, they'll be able to identify me. Jesus, what's going to happen to me type of thing? So it really sank in then that this was going to be uh, this was going to be real unless those unless the peace proposals sort of headed it off, you know. So uh, then we started sailing south, and uh, Alexander Haig was the American um, Secretary of State or Foreign Secretary, and he was a sort of go between um, of the two two nations, and. He'd be, he'd be, well, I was in the communications office, so I knew what was happening. I'd, I'd have the radio on, you know, I'd have the BBC on. <laughs> Back when there used to be more sort of uh, truth coming out of the BBC, uh, we'd have that on. We'd have the World Service on, you know. And then for for a bit of balance, we'd have Voice of America on as well. <laughs> so we'd have two two lots of propaganda coming out, one in each ear, but... Uh, Anyway, we'd hear these peace proposals and we'd follow them as they came out and as they, as they sort of looked promising. Because everyone on the ship didn't, re- didn't want to go to war. Some, some of them did. Some dickheads wanted to do that, gung-ho and all that. But uh, most of us didn't want to do that, you know. And um, so the important peace proposal that I always uh, point to is, was the Peruvian one. It came from President Belond, who was the president of, of um, Peru. And this is about, it came to fruition at the end of April. So all the ships were down there by then, you know, the Invincible Hermes. We were all down there and we were all inside the exclusion zone, which was like 200 nautical miles radius around the center of the Falklands. Um, we were all in that zone. Um, and this peace proposal was the it was a seven point plan, and it was sent from Peru by the British ambassador Charles Wallace. He sent it by telegram to London on the first of May, nineteen eighty two. On the second of May, nineteen eighty two, at about five o'clock local time, five p.m. local time, the Belgrano was sunk. The advice was that this was a danger to our ships, particularly to to the whole of our carrier group. Don't forget the only air cover we had was some Hermes and Invincible. That was the advice, and so indeed we altered the rules of engagement to enable the Belgrano to be sunk. So that peace proposal was sent 17 hours before the Belgrano was sunk. Now, you may have seen this. Uh, There was a lady called Diana Gould who about a year later challenged Mrs. Thatcher on a BBC TV programme called Nationwide. And she asked Mrs. Thatcher why she hadn't acted on that peace proposal. 
She hadn't put out a statement or anything on that peace proposal. Why did the Belgrano get sunk while that peace proposal was under scrutiny? You know, and she said we didn't. Mrs. Thatcher said we didn't receive that message until after the attack. Okay, so me as a my ears went up straight away as a communicator. Um, it's there in seconds. You know yourself. Telegram, it's there in seconds. So what happened? You know, I mean, it may have arrived in Northwood, which is, uh, which was the main sort of HQ north of London. That is where the telegram may have arrived. And a motorcycle guy may have gone down to Downs. Even so, it's not going to take him 17 hours to get to Downs, you know. So that is a question for me that has never been answered. And I don't know whether Ricky Phillips can answer that or Lawrence Freeman, because when I put the questions to them on Twitter this earlier this year, they blocked me. Um, they didn't want to know. They don't really want to hear that um, settled version of events being questioned. So uh, that's what happened with that peace proposal. Um, and I mean, I can talk about the belt unless you want to say something. Uh, uh, Paul, I, I just want to say, I just want to come in here because <clears throat> yeah. It, it, we're going to talk about the oil rights down there as well. You know, oh, we, yeah. we, we, Coal Light was the company. I believe Dennis Thatcher was a, um, I don't know if shareholders the right word or. Um, In the Falkland Islands company, yeah. 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 yeah we're going to come on to that and all, all this. But I, I do want to say, I just want to acknowledge <clears> here <throat> that when you saw the Argentines invade. Yeah. Oh my God, how you know, how patriotic were we? It seemed like the bloody right thing to do. Get down there, smash them in the nose. Yeah. F you, don't you ever come on, you know, we are Great Britain. Yeah. And um, it's like the um, Sergeant Major at the at, at the fight at Government House. Yeah. I believe it's the Sergeant Major, might might have been a colour strike or something, but the, uh, the Argentinian, when, when they're all like, you know, holding each other off. The Marines are in there are in government house. They smash the windows out. They're, they're giving it good with their SLRs at the invasion force. And the, and this is uh, incidentally friends at home. This is in a film uh, called an, uh, an ungentlemanly act. Okay. I actually worked with people whose characters were in that, 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 that film. Yeah. Um, right. In fact, one of them uh, was a, a, an armourer I worked with. And in the film, he's given it good to the Argentinians out the window. And the uh, the major of the Marines, Major Mike Norman, went, Marine so-and-so, would you just not that, whatever that Argentine is doing, let him live, right? Because he's, he's trying to think. Right? It's a, almost a, a bit of a comical... Um, that was uh, Harry for any of my Marine brothers out there that are, are, are wondering. But anyway, what what the, 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 the point I want to get to is it's so easy to get caught up in that. I don't know if hedonism is the right word of 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 right. How dare you? Yeah. And yes, we are going to sell 8000 miles. And yes, the public are going to come out and support. And yes, these Boys are heroes and da, 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 you know, and but 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 what I want to say is like 
that don't mean so much mm. if you lost your husband down there or you yeah. lost your father. Yes. I'm sure I'm sure as a child now and I speak to the children of Falkland's dead and they yeah. they're struggling to this day. You know, yeah. they still are battling. Tra- Many of them won't come on the podcast. They're just like, yeah. I, I can't deal with I life. Chris. I can't yeah. I can't deal with life. Yeah. There's no way I can come on a podcast, mm. right? They, they, yeah. This is deep, 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 deep trauma. Yeah. And and I I I just want to say, if you see it from that perspective, mm. then suddenly all the rah rah rah, let's go and scrap, let's mm. you know rule Britannia. He, he, yeah. he, there's a there is a different narrative in there. Yeah. That Do needs to be acknowledged because yeah. if there was a route to peace that we ignored. Yeah. A peaceful settlement. Yeah. You know, sanctions. Then all this becomes re- re- relevant, Paul, doesn't yeah. it? I think there could have been a route to peace. I think we, we are our own worst enemies if we fall into the trap of becoming like gung-ho, let's go and get them, all this stuff. That's what our politicians want. They want all that flag waving, and that's what they did at the time because it takes attention away from the serious issues about why are we fighting a war anyway? Why don't, why don't we uh, try and critically think about what's going on and what's motivating our leaders? Um, because if we fall into that trap, we're just serving their worst instincts by doing it. I think that goes for anyone, whether it's Tony Blair or Margaret Thatcher. We're just doing their bidding and we will become that cannon fodder that they want if we fall into that trap. And so will our children and so will our grandchildren if we don't stop the wars. You know, we've got to do that. We've got to... I've gone into this in in, in the book as well, in, in, into this sort of thing. I'm not an academic. I've done. I've done it in my own um, way. I can't go into the. I'm not capable of going into the um, the really close detail, the diplomatic uh, sort of side of things. But I can do it as a as somebody who who was there. You know, um, that, I think that gives me an advantage because I went through it. Whereas uh, Ricky Phillips was being pushed around in a pram in 1982. So. He's at a disadvantage, you know, when he's um, giving his version of events, and that's not to that's not to deride him at all, you know. That's just to state the facts. Um, anyone who went down there and survived and was lucky, they've got a story to tell, and that goes for everyone who lost somebody as well, because they felt the true impact of that war more than I did because they've lost their dad, you know, or their brother or their son. So um, it's a a big issue, that one, but we need to take a step back. We can't just be go-go. Yeah, it's, we get get our minds fogged by bravado, the nation. Um, I wanted, I'll, I'll touch on this a bit, later Paul as well because as anybody that's watched the podcast the biggest thing in my life um has been becoming an enlightened individual I didn't know what the shit that was when I was a serviceman right I was too busy thinking like you know should I spend two thousand pound on a mountain bike or or you know (laughs) let's should I go to Thailand again right 
but it's become a massive thing. And for friends listening, this, this is nothing to do with religion. If you think that, yeah, you, mm. you need to learn more. It's not about that. It's understanding who we are in this place, in this time, in what is essentially a multiverse. And are we going to waste time? Me, for example, like, should I go to war with Paul? Well, no, because that's nonsense, because Paul is just me experiencing life in his body. Okay. Yeah. It's it's a very clever machination uh, or, or ev evolution of the universe is, is that it managed to create intelligent life. And what these elites do is they hide all that from you. So they don't tell you that Paul is me and I am Paul. What they tell you is Paul's got a T-shirt. He's got some offensive slogan. Therefore, I need to attack him and I'm going to try and destroy you, Paul, and, and your family. I'm going to just... I'm going to dedicate my life to making yours a misery. Whereas the actual reality is actually Paul's me and I'm Paul. So I love Paul massively. I want him to have like the best life ever because he's just universe experiencing itself in a separate body. And these elites, mate, they, they've been lying to us for far too long. And this goes mm -hmm. back thousands of years we talked yeah. about this earlier didn't we yeah this goes back thousands of years to, <clears throat> to to the money supply yeah um and i'm not afraid to wake people up to this you know yeah i'm not afraid to wake people up to this and this is what true warriors do right yeah, and i ain't totally. got time i've not got time to be on this planet as a parental figure and not be a warrior because mm -hmm. i don't want to be a wimp mm -hmm. you know I don't yeah. want, and, and, and no disrespect, a lot of people are quite naive, but when you go along with official narratives because you're just scared to actually say the truth, that you, you're a wimp, okay? It's just, you know, you got to man up a bit or woman up a bit <laughs> because the children always, always come first. It's just yeah. that sim simple. Totally. But before before we come on to, to, to that, we do need to acknowledge um, the... Was it Coal Light Limited, yeah. which was was an energy company that owned all the rights around the Falklands? Yes. And it has been alleged, and I don't know if we can get evidence of this. Friends at home, if you can, please send it oh. to me. But that that Dennis Thatcher was a uh, was a shareholder, yeah, in this company. Well, that's what we call mm -hmm. com conflict of interest. It's a total in your face. Well, you know, uh, shouting and screaming conflict of interest. Um, the Colite Company owned 40% of the land on the Falkland Islands. So the sheep farms, you know, 40% of all the sheep farms were owned by the Colite Company. So that's a private interest straight away. Um, the other 60%, 50% of that was owned by absentee landlords, resident mainly in the UK. So that's 90% of Falkland Island's land, all the sheep farms, everything owned by somebody else and not the Falkland Islanders. Now that yeah. is a very, very big issue. And it's the first one that I, I sort of refer to in, in the book, I think, yeah. Um, so just, just to come in there, Paul, just so yeah. we, we, we're clear on this. So we're not talking about a war for people. No. No. And their land, and and their, you know, maybe it's their birthright, or because they're yeah. born there, or, or they're tenants. 
that we're, we're talking about a land that is actually owned, as you just Ooh. summed up, 50% of the land in the Falklands is owned by one company. And 40, another, yeah. yeah, and yeah. another 25% of that land through the intricacies of business, you know, the, 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 you know, the way business operates. So we're talking about it's not a fight over a land for people. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it is obviously in the media, but, but, but in, in reality, it is also, or in reality, it's a, la it's a fight over a land that's owned by a private corporation that just because yeah. that, that just adds so much more to the narrative. Yes. The, the other, the other thing about this, Chris, is that was not reported at the time. So we were given a false illusion that the Falkland Islanders um, owned their land. They didn't. Uh, 90% of it was owned by private interests whether they were absentee landlords or the coal light company. Yes. That's what we were fighting for when we were sent down there. Okay, Chris. Yeah. Um, one thing we should add to all that is um, with these private companies that owned 90% of the land, um, it, it changes the, um, the status of the people who were living there. They were presented to us as British people uh, suffering an invasion uh, they were that, but they were actually working tenants because they were working for these private companies down there. They didn't actually own the land that they were working on. It was those private interests that owned the land. And this was a fact that was never brought out, um, you know, by the BBC or by any of the media or the newspapers at the time. Yeah. Yeah. That puts a big spin on it, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, and it's a spin pool. It's just, it's just not ever going to get talked about other, other than in, other than yeah. in conversations like this. And yet it's That's so, right. it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. And it's frustrating for me because when I, when I was on Twitter and um, talking to the historians of the Falkland Islands war, um, they didn't want to discuss these issues. They were just too, um, What's the word? I don't know. Because they were counter um, to their own uh, output or their own narrative, I suppose, then they, they must be untrue. <laughs> what sort of a position is that to take up? You know, if you've got an inquiring mind, you've got to listen to all voices. You know, um, it is a fact. They are facts. So deal with them rather than closing people down. Sort of thing. Hmm. Do you think that's because people... You know, they get these in narratives, they get them sort of entrenched in their minds. Yeah. And then they start to make money off them. Yeah. I don't and think it's, it's just money, but it's loyalty to who they serve as well. Loyalty. Yeah. Not wanting to upset the apple cart. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is that. Yeah. Whereas this, I mean, this whole podcast, and I say it again, it, it's about the children what kind of world do we want for the next generation one in which we don't we're not allowed to question things one in which we're not allowed to bring new information to the table yeah. that people might not yeah. be aware of yeah that's right um but you you and i chris people of our age you know okay i'm a little bit older than you but 
you and I remember the old way of doing things pre-2020, don't we? It wasn't perfect. It wasn't even normal. You can't even call it the old normal, really. It wasn't normal. But this new thing that's coming in, what the hell is going on? It, it just doesn't, uh, what's the word? For want of a better word, it doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense. Um, it doesn't make sense to people that are not aware of the agenda. And this yeah. is, you know, called it lots of things, but referred to as the new world order. Mm. Um, which is bolstered by all these kind of it's called them steering groups goes yeah. back back to organizations like the Council on Foreign Relations, yeah. Build a Bilderberg Group. Now we're seeing a lot coming from the WEF, the World Economic Forum. Yeah. We were basically unheard of before all this, weren't they? They were there, they've been been there since the 70s, is it? Or, yeah, sure, but, I think uh, it was like 71 or 73 yeah. that Klaus okay. Schwab first put his head above the parapet. But yeah, yeah, it's it's like I say, and I think the wonderful George Carlin summed it up. Yeah, it, it, it's a big club and we ain't in it. Yeah. Yeah. And how, how can they be in it? They're not, they're not even elected to their positions, but the, the, the power they wield is just tremendous. Well, our own prime minister is not even elected to his pos- position. You know, they're, they're very clever. They, yeah. you know, they was it. They moved in Liz Trust, didn't they, as the 2IC to Boris Johnson. And then they very quickly shifted her sideways to make work way for a World Economic Forum member yes. whose yes. who's annual income is 750 million. That's, you know, yeah. just on paper. Yeah. Who has ties to companies like Infosys. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. who are still he's, he's also a safe pair of hands, which is what they will always want, isn't it? You don't want anyone who asks questions. Yeah, they're all puppets, mate, basically. Yeah. You know, they're puppets and they they get their little bit of kudos that comes in and that's enough for them to continue the the lie. Mm. Um yeah. you know they don't they're not accountable to the yeah. British people. Or to law. Or to law. They're accountable <clears throat> to the big club yeah. whom, who bestow all these honours and privilege upon them yeah. and make yeah. them feel like they're, oh, my God, I'm, I'm, I'm on the world stage. Look yeah. how... And they, they, know, they know about people like Kissinger, um, Probably the biggest criminal in the world, but he is still manipulating events, you know, 50 years on. It's just mm-hmm. how, you know, I don't yeah. get that. He's another Tony Blair who should be uh, serving his time. Yeah, him. You've got George Soros. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, just the events in New York and Washington, you just got to look at the architects of it. You know, they all belong to the same club. And and sadly, you're not going to understand this if all you do is watch your BBC nine o'clock news or is it six o'clock? I don't even watch TV, so I don't even know what it it is, Paul. But you you mentioned the events of uh, um, 20 years ago. I was very, I'm, I'm constantly berating myself. I was very slow on the uptake. It took me till about 2003 or four before I realised uh, 
I should have been asking questions about those events, you know. That wasn't just some one-off random event. It's part, like I say, of a big agenda yeah. that's mapped out and planned out and preconceived years and years in advance. Yes, yes. It ties into so much other implications, but off the back of which we just increasingly lose our, lose our freedom, the freedom that you fought for as a veteran, that I did as a veteran, and that, that all the other yeah. veterans out there did. Yeah, yeah. It's just they do stuff so incrementally, so slowly, Mm, this yeah. gradual erosion of freedom, this gradual, yeah. these gradual world events that people just think are random one-off, but no, they, they, it's slowly pushing to a point where yeah. we all become emasculated in our power, emasculated by our lack of knowledge because society is just increasingly being dumbed down by this stupid shit that you see you know, on, on television. Celebrity, get me out of here. That wow. That's, you took the words out of my mouth, yeah. mate, you know? Yeah. It, it's not just that it's insignificant shit that occupies the mind of the mindless. And I'm not saying it's not an interesting program. I've watched it myself, you know, one yeah. of the few things on TV I actually watched because I love the psychological experiment, but but uh, in the grand scheme of the world, when, hang on a sec, we've all just been like locked in our houses for two years. Yeah. We've all yeah. been told that if you wear your underpants on your face, that <laughs> will protect you from a bogeyman that, that many, <laughs> many esteemed scientists would just laugh at. Mm -hmm. And how quickly we forget it because I'm a celebrity on telly. <laughs> you know, and who do they have starring exactly. in the show? They have one of the arch, I'm just going to say arch puppets that was instrumental in meaning that if your loved one died, you couldn't even go to the bloody funeral. If you went to the yeah. funeral, you could just have like five people. Or if your loved one was dying in a care home, you couldn't go and visit them. And, and how quickly and all based mm. on, there's no science behind this, you know? Not at all, but they have found some science recently, uh, Matt, to say that anti-vaxxers are causing uh, the vaccinated people to be uh, to become unwell and to have heart attacks and for their arteries to become um, constricted. Um, but that, I don't know where they get that science from because it, it looks like quack science to well, me. They own the media, don't they? And they control yeah. the media so they can say what they want. And the average person yeah. in the street who's, you know. Yeah. Do you know, let's hope the average person in the street sees the comedy value of that type of thing. I know it's a horrible subject, people dying of heart attacks, but to, to claim that um, what other people are saying is causing heart attacks, mm. my first instinct is to laugh and, and then to think critically and to think, they shouldn't be saying that. They can't get away with that. They've overstepped the mark. And let's hope the average person in the street thinks that as well and starts waking up, you know. Well, I, I, I think a lot of people have been forced to wake up because of the amount of casualties. Yeah. Um, mm. yeah. It's impossible not to know yeah. people that have died. Um, yes, that's right. Pe people that have yeah. got 
we had a chap the other day on the podcast, you know, he's waiting. I'll say this, you know, hope he's not, but in his words, Chris, I'm waiting to die. You know, I got forced into a position through my job. I had to take something that I really didn't want to. And now it's just destroying me from the inside out. And it, it's just insanity perfected. It yeah. ignore it ignores the fact that hum, as the human species, we're so bloody clever. We've we've yeah. been through ice ages. We've been through famine. We've been through destruction. We've been through scarcity. We've been through yeah. lack of resources. We've been through yeah. illness, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But suddenly, in the year twenty twenty two, the only way to fix ourselves is going to corporate trillionaires. Yeah, and like people can't tie because the agenda is so incremental and it's slowly built up and it's been brainwashing people over yeah. uh, well hundreds of years. The, but the health narrative has particularly been mm. um, brainwashing people for the last hundred and fifty years or yeah. thereabouts. Because yeah. rather than take responsibility for your own health and do the things you need to do to be healthy, which is yeah. moderate exercise, mm. eat, eat a majority plant-based diet, or at least keep the other, you know, the bad stuff in check, Yeah, alcohol, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, no. Oh, no. You only get ill from other people. It's yeah. just such yeah. a massive lie. It's a huge oh, lie. You know? And, you know, they used to say human beings only use, I think it's 5% of the brain capacity or brain power. I swear that whoever's controlling these things want that figure to go down rather than go up, you know? Um, <laughs> I suppose it's up to us to make sure it, it goes up, you know? Mm. Uh, but it's been made so difficult, hasn't it, by uh, events the last, not just the last three years, but uh, <laughs> like you say, the last 150 years. Just to finish off, what was it like coming back from the Falklands for you, what was your experience of that? Where did did you sail back into into Portsmouth, into Rosyth? Uh, oh yes, yes, sorry, Ith, yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, we, oh, um, the last, the very last thing we did was um, we were detailed to sail down to Southern Thule. I don't know if you've heard of that island. It's one of the South Sandwich Islands. And it's got a bit of a reputation in sci-fi or conspiratorial sort of circles. Um, there's people who are saying that um, there's an alien base down there and stuff like that. You know, my mind's open to stuff like that, so I'll have a, have a look. Mm. But we went down there in June, June the 20th, 1982. Um, we had a Royal Marine detachment on our ship, 12 guys. And you, you'll know this. They were very, they were rather frustrated having to stay on the ship while the war was going on because they'd been sort of trained to get on land, you know, not just be on ships and get on land. And but they, they never got the permission to go on land. So eventually, they did get that permission um, when we went down to Southern Tool, and um, there were in 1976. Southern Tool was invaded by Argentinian scientists. And there were about a dozen of them. And our lads went on shore, rounded them up. As soon as they put foot on the sand, there were white flags being, you know, <laughs> it was just totally 
you're totally defenceless. So there's just white flags raised as soon as um, as soon as they put as, as they landed. They brought them back on the ship, and uh, after that we saw. Well, it's funny while we were sailing down there, the weather, the sea was turning to ice. You know, you could see particles particles coming coming together and getting bigger as we got further south and uh the sort of uh some old lads were saying we're gonna get frozen in here you know <laughs> hope we've got enough food you know to last six months and all this sort of talk going on but uh that didn't happen because uh, a frigate is not an icebreaker you know <laughs> can't do that job as well so uh anyway we started sailing north and we were given a date of uh was it late Ju- around late july to get back into Rosyth. And I was still writing my diary as, I, as we headed back, you know. Um, and it took about four weeks, I think, to get back. And funnily enough, yeah, all our families were there. It was amazing. They were all there on the quayside as, as, we, as we sailed in. And we sailed under the fourth rail bridge and then we came under the road bridge and it was totally covered in people from end to end. Wasn't a space. Every space was occupied by people waving, you know, waving flags and everything. And um, now, if we just jump back a bit, there was a lad, Jock Muirhead. His name was. He was on HMS Yarmouth, and he left. He left in late 1981, so before the invasion and everything. And he was fed up with the navy. He said, "I don't want to do this anymore." He was a big lefty, actually. He left wing. You know, I'm sick of these Tory bastards. I want to get the hell out of this. Uh, Get out, hell out of this navy, and he went. He went off. He joined another ship, and then he went down to HMS Nelson. I don't know if you heard. It's in Portsmouth. Pompey, yeah, been yeah. been been there. That, probably that thousands the, of that's times. That's the shore base where you uh, you've got to go to do your leaving routine. Mm. So you get this little uh, piece of card, and it's got you've got to get stamped, you know. So he's chucking his kit back. Oh, he's fed up. And he wants to get the hell out. Throwing his kit back and throwing his boots back and everything. And he gets to the day before, <laughs> the day before he's about to leave, it was April the 1st, you know. <laughs> you know what's coming up, don't you? April the 2nd, the invasion happens and he kept him in. <laughs> and oh, they kept him in? He kept him in. And he said, right, we'll have to draft you to one of the merchant ships. And they sent him to the Atlantic conveyor. So Jock Muirhead, <laughs> instead of... Uh, dressing up in the Sydney clothing, um, was sent down to the South Atlantic and he ended up ended up getting, his ship ended up getting sunk by an Exocet. 12, 12 sailors killed. He jumped about 60 foot off the back end into the sea with his once-only suit on, managed to clamber into a life raft and I learned recently he was floating around for about six hours. Before, some, and there were a few of them in there. And we've all seen that in the cruel sea or whatever, where they end up in a, a life raft. And you're thinking, Christ, this is it. We're going to die. You know that that was it. That was chopping your head. Anyway, I'll jump forward again. And um, the first face I recognised on the quayside, everyone's waving like mad. One of them stood out, and he'd be jumping up like mad at the back. It was chopping your head. He was there. He was there welcoming, welcoming us back, you know, so we came on for a beer. So that was really, that was fantastic. And my mum my was there, you know, and my girlfriend, all the family were there, you know, so, and everyone's families were there. It was a really emotional occasion, you know, um, to see everyone again, to, to survive. 
but at the same time thinking about the lads who, who never made it you know um, always thinking about them you never stop thinking about them you know like yourself you know you, mm. you know what that's like so um, yeah I mean <clears throat> for me it's quite simple yeah these individuals died fighting for our freedom or 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 at least yeah you know but believing that's the cause Paul when we can't we can't shit on them and yet we see it we're in a time of life now where that freedom has never ever been more brought into question the more serving men and veterans that realize that they've been duped the better you know the only, th- the only similar thing I can think is when people, jo- a lot of people I've had mates who've joined the police. They've lasted a couple of months and then they're out. You know, um, they see what's going on. They get an idea of what's going on in the police and they think, I can't do that. And they get the hell out. You know? uh, so I'd like to see that happen, you know, in, in the forces because we wouldn't have wars then. I'm not saying leave, leave us defenseless, but let's just bloody um, get our heads together. Like I was saying before about the big brains we've got, we can use those brains for peace rather than killing each other and having our grandchildren kill each other in the future, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Paul, listen, um, stay on the line so I can thank you properly, but uh, for the purposes of the recording, can you just show us your book once more? Yeah, let's hear it. Return to Bomb Alley, 1982. Did, did you go back? To the Falklands, then? No, I never went back. I never sort of had the. Um, so this is like a literal, a, a li- literature return. Yeah, I had the inclination to go back, but I never had the finances to cover it. And then I, I sort of got married in two thousand and six, and then I've got two young girls, and just I went through times where I just I was really hand to mouth. You know, I, I ended up selling my medal uh, and the original diary. Um, a thousand pound on eBay, you know, I had to do stuff like that. Didn't want to do that. Um, I offered it to um, the captain of the Ardent, who later became Admiral Alan West. I offered it to him by email, and he, he said, I understand why you're doing it, but I don't collect these things, so maybe you can find someone who can buy it, sort of thing. So, uh, um, but I needed that money desperately, you know, that's mm. why I sold it. I think there are organisations that can help fund you to to return to the oh, Falklands. Right, yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe I should look at that, yeah. 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 I think um, I think Nigel Spud Ely might be able to help you out. Yeah. There, I, we, okay. I can certainly put you in touch. Yeah, okay. Thanks for that. No, thank you, Paul. Um, you know, what do we say here? It, it, folks, I don't live my life for me. I've done that. I've seen a bit of the world. I've been in a few scrapes. <laughs> um, but no, I'm I'm utterly dedicated to the future of humanity, and, and by that I I mean children and and their and I'm I ain't gonna get screwed over by no one because I'm too fucking hard. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Royal Marines commando. Yeah. And we don't get fucked over by the likes of Klaus Schwab mm. and his sissy mob of people that have never been through what you've been through, Paul. Yeah. Never, never been through what what I've been been through. 
They ain't going to put their lives on the line. No. You know? No chance. They ain't going to be patrolling the streets of Belfast and have people shooting at them. It, it, it's, you know, they're laughing at us. They're laughing at us. And yeah, I would just encourage all, not just veterans, but serving personnel to realize the game that is being played and to acknowledge if it wasn't for people like Paul that are brave enough to stand up outside of the narrative and say, Hey folks, look, have you considered this? Did, did you know this? Did you know, you know, anyone can go along with a narrative, dust your medals out and your blazer and salute the queen. If you really want to remember your fallen comrades and the, and the sacrifice that they, they made, or at least they believed they was you know, yeah. you've got to stand up against <clears throat> evil. Mm, that's you've right. Got, you've got to put your own ego aside and go, yeah. hang on, look, that's I think right. what these guys are saying, that I think there's some, there's something in this. Yeah. You know? And when you're saluting the, you said the queen, but when you're saluting the king now, you've got to look at his associations. Well, exactly. Because he is associated to the WAF as well. He's associated to the WF. He's also associated yeah. to some undesirables, like, yes. for example, Jimmy Savile, yes. yes, Rolf yeah. Harris, Jeffrey yeah. Epstein, you know, yeah. okay, that's his brother, but let's not split hairs, folks. You know, this yeah. this is a big club. And, yeah, and Mrs. Mrs. Thatcher was seeing Jimmy Savile as early as 1979, New Year, 1979. She saw him 11 times, so 79 right through to 90 when she departed. Mm. Um, so pre-Falklands War, and we've got no record, no minutes, no recordings, nothing. We don't no. know what was talked about. We really don't know if she was going to him for advice about God knows what. You know, and he was never a security vet either, uh, which has got to raise some really serious questions about Everything really. How does he get close, so close to royalty? And, to the and also, also, Paul, you know, you don't think the intelligence services knew all about this guy? <laughs> yeah, clearly, like known. the leading figure on British. Tech, of course, they knew everything about him. Absolutely, same as they did, you know, certain politicians who had certain yachts that went across to certain islands we could say yes. whether where there were children's homes you know they know yeah. all this stuff but it's yeah. a very it's just a, a twisted dark web of of deceit yes and evil well, and uh we can't be put off by it being dark and twisted we've got to go there and, and deal with it i think to, to expose it you know um because that, i think that's what they want it's so bloody horrible that um they rely upon us running away from it. You know, we shouldn't do that. Well, listen, we're going to put a link to your book below. Um, like I Thanks say, just, that, just, just, just stay on the line, brother. But thank you yeah. so much for um, having the courage to say your truth. And that's all we do in life, isn't it? We say our truth. Yeah. And we don't get yeah. kowtowed or we don't get intimidated. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is getting worse. They are trying to up the narrative. You can see that. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, you got people yeah. on remote pollination islands. Yeah. That have never seen a Westerner yet, yet they're wearing their underpants on their face and jumping into bushes when their next door neighbor walks back. It, it's, yeah. it, this is the power mm. of the club. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And I just encourage all veterans out there. Just, just come on, mm. folks. Come on. Do you know what, Chris? I think they're going to overstep the mark at some point and do suggest something that is so ridiculous that people will just know. You know what I mean? I mean, they've come close with this latest thing where they're suggesting that... Uh, so many not, people are getting ill now off, yeah. off let's just say, their, uh, their choices in life. Yeah. There's Bugs. been a big move. that it, We're no longer conspiracy theorists. We're, we're like killers. No, if, if we're if we're open, if we want to debate that these issues, we're being branded as as killers now. Mm. That's only just come out. I don't know how they can make this stand because in the past, like you were saying, um, they were putting the fear of God into us, locking us down, not letting us see our families. People were dying and without seeing the families, all that going on. But there were no um, heart attacks being caused by that. Mm. By that sort of stress, all of a sudden it's us causing the stress. It gets deeper, Paul. People watching now for the vast majority will not be aware that a freedom of information request was submitted to the government. Okay, so that's the Office of National Statistics. And they said, listen, over this one and a half year period, which is basically like what's happened in the last two years. Yeah. Um, how many people have actually died from the old, like Scovy Macadobi? Yeah. Uh, how many actual under the age of 35? Yeah. It's literally, don't quote me here, folks, you know, my memory, but it's something like 10. Oh, right? my God. yeah. I can that's even it. if you believe that's the yes. cause of ill health, which is an yes. another narrative again. But if you actually want to go down the BBC official mm-hmm. route, that's what we're talking about, folks. Mm-hmm. You can find this online if, if you care to look. Yeah. Yeah. You can find it online. How many people died from this thing? Yes, you are hearing yeah. this correctly. Less yeah. than 10 people. Yeah. We're not talking about people that had diabetes, underlying heart conditions, they're elderly, they're in a home, da 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 You know, when when you get ill because you've not looked after yourself, um, you know, you haven't done those things you need to do in life, which is which is eat a healthy diet, moderate exercise, da 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 da. Yeah. Not talking about not talking about we're talking about how many people and and that surprises people because if you pose that question to individuals and say, look, how many people do you think have actually died like of this thing, like just this thing, not, not, they go, oh, probably oh, uh, 200,000. No, yeah. may, no, maybe 300,000. Yeah. No, 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 yeah. less yeah. than 10. And if anyone yeah. wants to take me to task on that, yeah. Come on the podcast, yeah, right, yeah. <clears throat> and, and I will demonstrate it to you. All right, yeah. I didn't. I didn't travel eighty-five countries across all yeah. seven continents yeah. to be like normal. 
I did that because I wanted exceptional knowledge on a mm-hmm. higher level. Yeah. Which has allowed me to access a, a, an area of life that I just never yeah. thought was available to me. And it's called enlightenment. Yes. You know? and, and it's a yes. bloody great place to be. It means I don't hate people anymore. Yeah. It means I yeah. don't want for anything anymore. Yeah, sure. If you want to give me a Ferrari, I'll burn that around the block. I, I like mm. cars. Yeah. I don't need it, though. You know? Yeah. I don't yeah. need it. So long as I can pay my bills and then get out with my family and smile in the sun, that's all I give a shit. That's all that ca- all that matters, you know? That yeah. is all, yeah. all that matters. But You know what, Chris? I've... Uh... Since the start of this thing, I've been uh, going to a stand in the park meeting. Yes. And there's 50 of us, roughly. And we go to Birkenhead Park by the Cafe Cream. And we meet there every Sunday at 10 p.m. And uh, I'm just putting it out there. Not on Twitter. It's at S-I-T-P Birkenhead. That's our, um, our handle on Twitter. So if anyone wants to join us, you know, drop us a line. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And and it's interesting you say that because our local stand in the park, which I will go and try and support as often as I can, yeah, um, is run by a chap called Mark. Hello, Mark, and much love to you, brother. And he's yeah. a former Matlow. All right. Okay, good on him. <laughs> he's a good chef, life. but let, we're not gonna hold that against him, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, seriously, Navy chefs. Royal Marine chefs. You kept us going. <laughs> hey, best in the world, mate. Best yeah. in the world. It's all changed now, though. It's all yeah. private companies that come in. They give you these shitty little, like, box meal crap. Oh, no. Or you get a little bit <laughs> off. The, it, it's it's nothing oh. like what we experienced, you know? Oh, my God. Again, yeah. this, this conditioning of the human yeah. experience to be mm. so much crapper than than mm. what it could be but yes folks yeah. stand in the park but i yeah. do feel that all this is coming together now yeah i do feel yeah. people have had enough i think people when you see your own loved ones getting hurt yeah or no longer being here it's a wake-up call to go ah yeah. i think we've been lied to and that is yeah. i hope paul that is for people what the events in new york and washington were to me all right. They woke yeah. me up and I'm like, yeah. ah, right. That don't work. Do it. That narrative is a massive, massive brother. Massive love to you, Paul. Let's stay you, in touch. Chris. Yeah. Let's stay in touch. I wish you okay, all the best mate. with your book. Thanks for inviting me on the show. Really hey. appreciate it. Let's respect to you as well. Well, you know, doing. mate, I only do it for the children. It's that simple. Yeah. I'm a Royal Marines commando. Yeah. Right. It's that simple. I ain't no fucking pussy to these. Don't want to say the word, but people know the word that I can't <laughs> say. Right. It's that it. simple. <laughs> right. I swore an oath and I don't care what it said in the oath, but it was basically, I'm going to protect you and I will die doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. We have a core ethos, Right. And that ethos, you know, without getting into the 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 in intricacies of it, is is we do what is right, not what is easy, right? Yeah. We do what is right. We don't do what is easy. And 
Paul, let's chat soon, brother. Okay, mate. Thanks a Every, lot. Everyone at home, I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have. Please put your thoughts, your comments below. You maybe got your own views on the, on the Falklands. You maybe got your own views on, on what's going on. It would be lovely if you could support Paul and leave a nice comment because guys like this don't come around that often, folks, you know. And when they do, they need to be recognised that, okay, it upsets, you know, it's going to break a bit of China, but what essentially in the long run is the best for us all? Do we just shut up about things or do we question things and go forward and build a better, better future for all of us? Massive love. Please like and subscribe. We're going to see you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. See you soon, mate. Welcome, brother. You are very, very welcome. Cheers. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you.